Good morning, and welcome to the final week of our Kingdom Living series here at Oxford Vineyard. Uh, And what a series it's been. Uh, So much has gone on inside of us, in our groups, in our families, in our church, in the world around us, while this series has been going on. And uh, so we've just, just to kind of recap a little bit, we've been taking the last month and a half um, to just kind of examine some areas of our life that we might hold back from God a little bit, that we might have a little bit of a dualistic view about it. What does that mean? That means we're thinking about some things as being spiritual and good, and we're thinking about other things as being fleshly, worldly, and bad. Um, And so what we're trying to do is just break down that barrier a little bit. We're breaking down that barrier when we're talking about our finances, when we're talking about our health, when we're talking about our our leadership and our influence, and we're trying to understand that God wants to be intimately involved with those things, intimately involved with those things. We can't afford to write them off and say, well, this is fleshly and this is spiritual because they're integrated. We're integrated beings, right? So we've hopefully been taking some time to pause and, uh, and just examine some things that are going on inside of ourselves and ask God, how do you want to change us? How do you want to sanctify us? How do you want to make us different? And, and, and really pursue the presence of God so that we might live in increasing fidelity to Jesus. What does that mean? That means he's our only love. He's our only love. He's the one. So we talked about dualism, relationships, leadership, finances, vocation, health. And today I'm going to talk about rest. So we planned this series in July, and I just want to let you guys know that the fact that I'm talking about rest the Sunday after the election wasn't a mistake. I actually planned on doing that since July. So just so you know, that wasn't an accident. I've talked about rest three times at this church this year. We've talked about true biblical Sabbath, if you can remember, all the way back in January. We talked about biblical sabbath and we've talked about some different elements of rest some things like different ways to pray and meditation and and napping right is a very spiritual thing and different different kinds of spiritual practices that can lead us into the presence of god and today you know those things are awesome and i want to keep talking about those things until we're all doing them but today uh, my hope is that we're looking at some new teaching through fresh eyes and that we're actually taking a new perspective on rest that we haven't talked about yet this year, uh, that we might understand rest as one of the primary means that we sit by Christ's side, that we enter into intimacy with Jesus, and, and that we actually start to uh, understand rest as a more meaningful practice than just recharging our batteries, because it's so much more than that. I want us to start to understand rest as a practice of Christ-like sacrifice that carries with it a far greater blessing than just uh, fulfilling a commandment, than just doing something that we're supposed to do. See, we have to understand um, that there is a blessing associated with rest. There There is another level of intimacy with Jesus when we start to understand what it means to enter into the rest of God. So at the end of 2019, like a lot of us, um, I spent some time asking God what he had for me in 2020. And one of the scriptures that I got for this year was Hebrews 3, 7 to 11. I'm not going to read the whole thing out to you because it's kind of long and honestly it's a little bit confusing. But I want to encourage you to make a note and read that on your own later. Because what I really took away from months of studying these verses 
is that there's a few things that kind of stand out to me. It seems to me that the author is claiming that the disobedient didn't have the opportunity to enter into the rest of God. Disobedient Israel didn't have the opportunity to enter into the rest of God. They fell short, the author says, but they also claim this, that the rest of God is ours to enter into, and we should actually strive to enter into his rest. That seems a little bit counterintuitive, right? Striving to enter into the rest of God, but that's what he says, that God's rest is a place of intimacy with him. God's rest is a place of intimacy with him. And so today, I want to talk about having a perspective on rest that goes deeper, uh, one that takes us on a journey, as Jack Frost would say, from spiritual slavery to spiritual sonship is something that we have to understand. Rest does more than just rejuvenating our minds and our bodies. Uh, Rest brings us into deeper connection with the living Christ every time we take time to eliminate hustle and, and unhealthy attachments and distractions to set time aside to be with him. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in. So Jesus, we just ask that you would come this morning and, and influence us to move toward your rest, to, to set aside unhealthy attachments, to set aside the things that we are obsessed with during the week, the things that take up our time and take up our attention. We set those things aside just to be with you, to sit with you, to focus on you right now, Lord. We just ask that you would teach us what it looks like to come into your presence, what it looks like to be intimate with you, Jesus, and to understand what you're saying to us. Amen. So I understand that you might be thinking to yourself right now, I get how we're dualistic about money and relationships and health and those things because it's easy to see, you know, well, my money is mine and a lot of people say money is bad. Is anybody really saying that rest is bad? Probably not, but I think we're still dualistic about it because For this whole series, we've been talking about how to live an integrated life, mind, body, and spirit. We often treat rest like it is just for our physical body. That's how we think about it a lot of times. We we think about, you know, if I asked you what rest does for your body, your answer would probably come pretty quickly, right? When When I'm tired, it revives me. When I've done too much and I sleep, I wake up and I and I feel refreshed. It revives us. It allows us the opportunity to recharge. And all that's fine, but I believe that rest is intended to do way more than that for us. Way more than that for us. I mean, people that I think have a great perspective on this is actually prophets, to the prophets in the room. How important are dreams? How important are our dreams in that time where we, you know, whether we like it or not, we've set time aside and God has access to our minds because we're sleeping, Right? It's important that we tap into that. But I think it goes far beyond just sleeping at night. I believe that rest revives our bodies, but I also believe that rest is a sacrifice that fills us to overflowing. And I think it's a challenge to draw near to God's presence in the waking hours and implore him to show us more of his glory. Like Moses did, right? Moses said, God, show me your glory. It's, crit- it's a critical discipline, not just for our bodies, This is like what Lynn Lynn explained last week about health. It's not just critical for our bodies. It's critical for our spirit and for our soul. If we're not resting, we could very well be losing access to a large portion of what God wants to say to us and what God wants to do in us when our foot is constantly on the gas. We're not paying attention to what he wants to say to us in the place of rest. We have to tap into that. So, 
there are three scriptures that I want to take a look at this morning that I think build up a right understanding of rest and how we interact with this discipline. So Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments that's handed down in in, uh, Exodus 20, right? That's one of the Ten Commandments. It says, keep the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath holy. Rest on the Sabbath. However, the first mention of the seventh day rest for the people of Israel after the creation story actually comes before the Ten Commandments. It comes four chapters before the Ten Commandments in Exodus 16. So in Exodus 16, Moses, he successfully led the people of Israel out of Egypt. And at some point, uh, you know, the, the people are traveling. They're traveling through the desert. They probably have with them only what they were carrying in terms of rations and, you know, what they could get from the land as they went. Um, it actually says it's been a month and a half since they left Egypt, and the people start to complain about the food in the desert. Understandably so, right? There's probably not a lot of great restaurants in the desert. And so the people are getting agitated. They're like, we don't have enough to eat, and this stuff isn't any good. Moses, Aaron, what are you going to do about it? So I'm going to read a little bit to you. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Cool. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. He said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So he's saying this on the sixth day. He's saying, Tomorrow we're going to rest. So have everything ready that you need to have ready so that you can rest tomorrow. So they laid it aside till the morning, and as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. We'll come back to that. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather so what'd they do? They didn't, they didn't trust him, and they said, well, on the seventh day, we're going to go out and see if there's any manna out there. And the Lord said to Moses, sorry, they found none. I'm assuming that, that we knew that. They found none when they went out together. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. They got it when that was explained to them, right? He said, hey, look, quit going out there. You know, I'm going to give you enough on the sixth day. You'll have enough. Don't. And so let's unpack this a little bit. Every time we read the Hebrew Bible, every time we read the Old Testament, what's the first thing that we have to ask ourselves? Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in the text? Because we're people of Christ, We have the opportunity to read the Hebrew Scriptures differently. So the first thing we ask ourselves is, where is Jesus? Scripture has a multitude of interpretations. St. Ephraim the Syrian said it this way. Listen to this. If there only existed a single sense for the words of Scripture, then the first commentator who came along would discover it, and other hearers would experience neither the labor of searching or the joy of finding. So what's he saying here? What he's saying is, 
when we read the word, if the first person that read this text and taught on it understood everything about it, there would be nothing left to find. What St. Ephraim is explaining here is that the word is alive. The word is alive and the Holy Spirit's constantly speaking to us through the scriptures to reveal something new every time. So we can't afford to just take this scripture at face value. We have to find Jesus in it and allow Holy Spirit to reveal him to us through the word. So first we have the people of Israel complaining because they feel like they're not being adequately provided for. Right? They're looking at this and they're saying, this food stinks, there isn't enough, we need more, we need different food. They claim that they ate better when they were slaves in Egypt. There's a verse in there, they actually did eat better when they were slaves in Egypt. Because it, it says, you know, oh, we just, we want the, the garlic and the melons and the beautiful rich fruits and vegetables that we had access to when we were slaves in Egypt. And they were probably right. Because when we're living in bondage, our flesh might be more satisfied far more satisfied than when we're living in full dependence on the bread from heaven. Because when we're living in full dependence on the bread from heaven, there might be some things that we have to resist that are not even available to us anymore that taste better and feel better. And those are the things that if we're not careful to watch for the bread from heaven that we're going to desire that our hearts are going to start to desire. Are you with me? Is this making sense? Ultimately, living out obedience to the loving way of the Lamb of God provides far more long-haul satisfaction that can actually be harvested by the generations that follow us. Because if the people of Israel, if they were so obsessed with eating melons and garlic and beautiful fruits and vegetables, that they stayed in slavery in Egypt. Are you with me? Their children and their children's children and their, their children's children's children wouldn't have reaped the harvest that was theirs because they entered into relying on the bread from heaven instead of desiring those things that satisfied their flesh when they were in bondage in Egypt. Do you get it? So then what happens? The people of Israel are commanded by God to gather bread six days a week, two days portion on the sixth day, and rest on the seventh day. So we're circling back to rest. What do they do? Of course they don't do that, and neither do we. A couple of weeks ago, Ricardo said something that really stuck with me about leftovers. You guys remember that? When Ricardo was talking about, what he's talking about is the economy of heaven, right? And when God provides... There are leftovers. So what's happening here? The, the people have leftovers, right? G Ricardo talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000 and then the 4,000 and the fact that they had leftovers. What did God promise the people would have every sixth day in the desert if they, if they were resting on the seventh day? Leftovers, thank you. What should we do about that? What should we do about that? How should we respond now that Christ is our manna in the desert? There's a reason that he's referred to as the bread of heaven. And it's got even more, to do with more, more than just to do with communion. It, it draws back on this story. It draws back on this story. And Jewish hearers of that phrase, the bread of heaven, referring to Jesus, 
would have understood that that was a reference to the manna that, re- that came down from heaven, that God provided for the people so that they might enter into the seventh-day rest. We have to grasp that the body of Christ, the bread of heaven, represents a willingness to meet us where we are and give himself for us. It represents grace and righteousness that comes not from our work, not from our gathering on the seventh day, but it, and it doesn't represent fruitfulness from our good works or our successful efforts. It comes from receiving his presence. That's right. It comes from receiving his presence. You and I have to begin to understand that because the bread of heaven empowers us, it's safe for us to rest. It's safe for us to rest because we aren't going to run out. We can trust that he's going to keep his word. We can trust that he's going to keep his word, that on the sixth day, there will be enough for the seventh day. So let me continue to explain this a little bit. We have to understand that rest is surrender. Rest is surrender. The next thing I think we need to grasp about this is that rest is surrender. To to rest is to surrender our plans and to allow God to be the one to build the house as we pursue him. Psalm 127 is one that you might be familiar with. I'm going to read it to you. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Eating the bread of anxious toil, do you hear that reference to what happened in the desert? Eating the bread of anxious toil, because we didn't trust there was going to be any bread on day seven. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Some translations say rest. Is God building you or are you building you? Is God building you or are you building you? One of my favorite little details about this scripture in there is the the word in the first verse, house. Did you guys catch that? Unless God builds the house. So why, why the word house? Why is this interesting? The Hebrew word for house is remarkably similar to the Hebrew words that mean son and daughter. We have to remember when we read the Psalms that this is a song. So think about your favorite songwriter or your favorite poet. Do they sometimes make a a play on words? Do they sometimes say things that rhyme that don't mean exactly what they're saying, but they say it because it it makes a point, because it, it captures your heart to think in a particular way about what they're saying? So in this psalm, Solomon goes on for the next three verses to kind of riff on uh, children in these last three verses. He talks about having children and, and the fruitfulness of having children and the blessing of having children. And it seems a little out of place if we don't understand that, that little rhyme, that little play on words that he sneaks in there about the house. So read it again and think, of, think about it this way. Unless the Lord builds sons and daughters and families and communities, that's the, that's the context there. Unless the Lord builds them, those who build them labor in vain. So what Solomon is saying is far more than just about your work. He's not just singing this song to carpenters. He's singing this song to the children of God so that they might understand that unless God is the one building them up, unless he's the one building their lives, they're laboring in vain. 
So when you hear house, that can mean house, but it's also this play on words that it's intended for you to understand that we're singing about families, about you and I, right? So when you jump to verse 2, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So what Solomon is saying here is that the bread you eat when you are rising early and staying up late is going to be stinking and filled with worms in your mouth. I know, I hate it too. That's so that you get it. It's going to be stinking and filled with worms in your mouth. Why do I say that? Because earlier in that Exodus 16 story, what happens is the people go out the first time the manna comes from, from heaven. On the, on the first day, this isn't even connected with the Sabbath, and they gather up an excess. They gather up an excess because they didn't trust that it was coming the next day. And so when they, when they hoarded, what happened was the next day they woke up and it stank and bred worms. That's what it says in Exodus 16. So when Solomon is talking about the bread of anxious toil, he's talking about the fruit of your labor stinks and it's filled with worms when you're striving, when you're outside of the rest of God. It's not nourishment for your body. It's not nourishment for your body. It breaks you down and you suffer from it. When you start to operate outside of your assignment and your calling and the sphere of influence that God has given to you and the way that he has uh, started to, to work you into that assignment and calling, we are left with, with a reward, with fruit that stinks because we didn't trust God. We saved it up. We hoarded it because we didn't trust that God would provide for the next day. So I say again that rest is, sac- is a sacrifice that fills us to overflowing. What I mean by that is that we see the Israelites in some ways kind of being forced to put some measure of their security and their safety on the line in order to worship God. They had to put some measure of, of their assuredness for what would come tomorrow on the line because they wanted to worship this God who had called them and who had given them great promises. So if you're waiting for everything to be set right with your schedule and your meal plan and your work before you start pursuing God's rest, you're worshiping those things. And you believe that they're more able to to provide for you than God is. That's just the truth about it. I do that. I believe a lot of times that those things are more able to provide for me than God is. And I worship them. And I need to repent for that. Likewise, if you're waiting for everything to be set right with your family, with your coworkers, with your team, with your congregation, with your staff, before you strive for God's rest, you're worshiping yourself and you believe that you are better equipped to take care of those people than God is. Because if you're entering into the rest of God, if you're entering into intimacy with Jesus, you'll be empowered to be extremely effective for the other six days. But if you're outside of that rest, you've begun to worship yourself, you've begun to set aside the the, the authority and the power that the Holy Spirit's calling you into and sacrifice that intimacy for him for reliance on yourself. So this is a challenging thing. This is something that I certainly don't always live out well, and I don't want you to feel condemned by this. I don't want you to feel condemned by this. 
Um, I want you to ask Holy Spirit, am I worshiping my circumstances? Am I worshiping my ability? I just confessed I am at times, right? If this makes you feel heavy, that's fine because there's an answer for that too. So one of the, one of the ways that I like to define rest is the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. Because the peace of Christ, this is something that we miss when we talk about different ways we can meditate and all that kind of stuff, different ways we can pray. The peace of Christ doesn't require us to be seated cross-legged on a cushion in a quiet room in the dark, right? The peace of Christ goes with us into our circumstances. Jesus invites us to experience this rest with him as we go. And I think he was aware of how profoundly Israel had missed the mark in terms of, uh, of loving God by seeking his rest when he says what he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The reason that unfaithful Israel had so much trouble entering into the rest of God was because they weren't empowered by the Holy Spirit the way that we are. They weren't empowered by the Holy Spirit the way that we are. Holy Spirit is a rest magnet for us if we'll allow him to be. He draws us to Christ. He preaches the gospel to our hearts every day. And if we listen to that, we hear him inviting us into the rest of Jesus. What Jesus is speaking of here when he says this, he's not teaching the apostles some meditation techniques. He's speaking of a way of living that is defined by gentleness and rest, inviting us into it. He was confident, and he never shrank back from his assignment. We see that in the life of Jesus. He was, he was fully confident. He knew who he was. He never shrank back from his assignment. Yet at the same time, he described himself as lowly, gentle, and meek. And that's something that he invites all of us into. So when you hear lowly, gentle, and meek, and you say, well, that's just not really my personality. Sorry. It should be. Jesus is inviting you into that. He says that's the fruit of his rest. That's what being yoked to him produces. And so if you are producing an aroma of lowliness and gentleness and meekness, great. But if you aren't, pay attention to this. If you look at your life and you look at the way that you talk to people and the way that you think and, and your Facebook posts and, and the aroma from those things isn't lowly and gentle and meek, pay attention to this. Note what Jesus says about how we get to this place. He says to take his yoke upon us and learn from him. A life devoted to the way of Christ is one increasingly defined by gentleness. And it comes from resting in him and having intimacy with his spirit. So I keep using this word intimacy. What does intimacy mean? Intimacy means that we're letting the Holy Spirit into the innermost parts of ourselves. We're letting the Holy Spirit speak to parts of ourselves that we don't share with our friends. We're letting the Holy Spirit speak to parts of ourselves that we aren't sharing with the world 
because they're too gross or they're too dirty or they're too shameful or they're too whatever, right? That is where Jesus wants to visit you with his rest. That's what he wants to speak to you about when you're resting in him. And that's the place that he wants to bring his peace to. So intimacy with Jesus is part of a cycle. It's part of a cycle of being intimate with him and getting filled up and then going out and displaying that, that aroma of, of lowliness and gentleness and love, loving kindness to people. And if we catch ourselves, this is important, if we catch ourselves thinking God's rest means that we should just shut it down for a time to veg out, we have an unredeemed perspective. So when we think about rest, and we think about rest, and we think that it just means I'm going to take tonight and I'm going to watch Netflix. That's not rest. I personally really enjoy The New Yorker. Uh, I just like the way that it's written. I think it's funny. And I love The New Yorker's cartoons. Um, uh, New Yorker cartoons just, the, I don't know, I think they're hilarious. But here's one of God. So here's God, and it says, On the seventh day, God tried to relax, but he didn't have the healthiest work-life boundaries, so he distractedly watched a few old episodes of 30 Rock with a Google Doc called More Earth Ideas Open in another tab. This is what we think rest is. How stupid does that look? That's not rest. Rest doesn't involve scrolling. Rest doesn't involve scrolling. Rest doesn't involve Netflix. Don't invite Netflix into your place of rest. Don't invite Facebook into your place of intimacy with Jesus because it's not invited. It's not welcome. Seriously, that's dumb. What if that's what God was doing on the seventh day? That's so messed up. Are you kidding me? I thought that was hilarious. That was just last week in the New Yorker. I was like, how perfect is this? <laughs> Rest should be exciting. Rest should be exciting. Rest isn't a time to veg out and learn more about the office. Rest should challenge us. Rest should make us think this is only worth it if God shows up and does something with my time. Because if he doesn't, it was a waste. If we have a paradigm that says we'll be restored, if we can just hit snooze a couple more times, or if we have an evening for Netflix, or if we take a break to scroll through Facebook for a while, we've missed it. That's not what God is inviting us into. That's not what Psalm 127 is talking about when it's talking about being built up when it's talking about letting God build you up. One of the most often uh, repeated cliches about rest that I wholeheartedly believe is true is that God can do more with six days of work than we can do with seven. God can do more with six days of work than we can do with seven. And it's not just about how many days we work and rest. It goes far beyond that. We have to get it in our heads that just as a principle, God can do more with less than we can do with more. God can do more with less than we can do with more. So forget about what it is that we're counting. God can do more with one hour of work than we can do with two. I found that to be the case when I'm working at the end of the day and it's three o'clock and I'm ready to throw in the towel. I could have two more hours of unproductive work or I could take one hour and meditate on the word and work for the last hour of my day. And I find that I get so much more done in that last hour of the day because I took one hour to meditate on the word. Yeah. 
Just an example. God can do more with 90% of our salary than we can do with 100. God can do more with one disciple than we can do with five. So when you look at your life and you look at the great commandment and you see Jesus saying, make disciples of all nations and you're discouraged because you don't feel like you have any disciples or enough disciples, understand that God can do more with one or two disciples than you could do with five or 10 or 20 or 50. God can do more with one outreach to pray for the sick when it's executed well than he can do with 50 executed poorly. Do you believe that that's true? Do you believe that that's true? We've got to believe that he's actually building our house. Because if those statements sound false to us, or if they sound like, that's nice, that's really nice, I would, you know, put that on a Hobby Lobby plaque and hang it in my living room. (laughs) No! That stuff's not real. It's real to us when we start living it. So do you believe that? Are you building you or is God building you? Do you believe that there will be leftovers? Do you believe that there will be leftovers or does your worldview tell you that you need to keep your foot on the gas or else? Or else your business won't succeed. Your relationships won't succeed. You'll run out of money. You'll lose influence. You'll lose your health. Rest empowers the first five messages in this series. Health comes out of a place of rest. I think Lynn would agree with that. Right? If we're not resting, we can't get healthy. Exactly. Successful relationships come out of a place of rest. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm tired and when I'm not filled up with the peace of Christ, I'm mean to people. I'm mean to people. Joel and I have worked a lot of late nights together at Skyline. I'm mean to people. I'm so mean when I'm tired. It's true. I would say you should have seen it, but you shouldn't have. The reason I chose these three verses is because they truly speak of rest for our body, our soul, and our spirit. Exodus 16 is a perfect example of Sabbath rest for the body. God says, don't go out and work. Don't do it. Rest for the body. Psalm 127 speaks of a spiritual rest, a rest of your efforts, arresting your pursuits to God so that they might become fruitful our spiritual ambitions, our desire to do good, our desire to be watchmen, right, in the spiritual sense. We have to be submitted to him or it will be completely fruitless. Even worse, it'll stink and it'll breed worms. In Matthew 11, Jesus says he'll give us rest for our souls. Lynn talked for just a second last week about that word soul, that our mind, will, and emotions would be fully submitted to Christ so that he might do what he wants with them. That's what rest accomplishes. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the peace of Christ. So I want to leave you with these three questions. I want you to ask yourself these three questions. Continue to revisit them. Number one, do I believe that God can do more with what I have than I can if I take time to enter his rest? Do I believe that God can do more with what I have than I can if I take time to enter his rest? Number two, am I working to build myself, my family, my business, my ministry, or am I truly allowing God to build it? 
Would I pay lip service to the idea that God is the one building my life, building my business, building my relationships, or do I actually believe that he's the one building them? And do I seek him for that wisdom? And ask yourself, what does that look like for you? Because it'll look different for all of us. It's going to look different for Jim than it is for Catherine. It's going to look different for Josiah than it is for Kim. So figure out, get in that place of intimacy with Jesus and ask him, what does it look like for me to enter your rest? Number three, are my mind, will, and emotions submitted to Jesus in intimacy with him? And am I learning how to live like him or am I toiling in vain? Am I learning how to live like him or am I toiling in vain? If you're striving and you're tired, Jesus is at the door of your heart and he longs to teach you his gentleness and invite you to rest with him. He really does. He's not angry or ashamed if 2020 has exhausted you. He wants to dine with you. He doesn't think less because 2020 got to you. If the political spirit and the leaven of Herod has entered your heart this week, and plundered your kingdom-mindedness? If that's, uh, yeah. I don't want to cast a political spirit out of anybody this morning, but I will. (laughs) If the political spirit has entered your heart and plundered your kingdom-mindedness this week, Jesus is happy to deliver you, and that is deliverance, and see you return to call him king. He wants you back. He wants you back. I'm going to say this. I'm, I'm just going to say it. Do you guys remember when Jesus had the silver drachma and it had Caesar's picture on it? And he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Do you know what he was saying? I'm going to paraphrase. This coin with his picture on it, it's got his picture on it. He can have it. Whose picture is on you? Whose picture is on you? That's what God wants, what he's put his picture on. Caesar, he can have it. Yeah? If it's got his picture on it, he can have it. But somebody's picture is on you, and it's not Caesar's. God wants your affection. God wants your attention. God wants your peace of mind. God wants you. He wants you. He wants intimacy with you. And he doesn't want you to give it to Caesar. I'll stop. I want to pray for us to open the door to Jesus. He's knocking. It might be the first time for some of us. It might be the first time in a long time. It might be the first time since yesterday. But I want to pray for that right now. So Jesus, we say yes to your rest. We say yes to your rest. We say yes to what you would have us enter into in you, God. We thank you, Lord, that you put your picture on us. You put your picture on us. And so today, we just commit to returning to you what's yours. Jesus said the way that we do that is by being yoked to him in lowliness and gentleness and humility of heart. So we say yes to your rest right now, God. The Sabbath rest for the people of God. Let it come right now. Let it come right now on everybody in this room, everybody listening on Facebook. 
that we would experience what it means to truly have our spirits submitted to you, to truly have our relationships, our finances, our influence, our health, and the other one that I'm forgetting, all those things submitted to you, God. Let them be yours right now. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would come over us with your peace right now. Come over us with your peace right now, Lord. We need to experience your rest, whatever it looks like for us. Be it prayer, be it meditation, be it silence, be it taking a nap. We need to experience your rest right now, Holy Spirit. So come in, capture our hearts for your kingdom. Capture our hearts for your kingdom. That you would be our only love. That you would be our only love. Amen. So since we've had so much discussion about intimacy with Jesus, the bread of heaven, I think it's appropriate that we have communion before we enter into worship. So worship team, I want you to stay where you are to take communion. And we're just going to pause. We're going to have some silence while we reflect on some of these things. So we come to this table not because of any goodness of our own. We come because of the mercy and help of the Lamb of God. Because of Christ, we are the righteousness of God. That's why we sit at this table. That's why we partake in the bread of heaven. That's why we rely on it to fill us to overflowing. So come because you love God a little and you want to love him more. Come because he loved you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the bread of heaven because we're his body. You who have much faith and you who would like to have more. You who have been here often and you who have not been here for a while. You who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed. Eat the bread and remember the body of Christ, broken in submission to sinful humanity in order that we might be able to come into intimacy with him. Go ahead and eat it. And drink this disappointing white grape juice <laughs> that was sent to us because there's a communion cup shortage. That was a joke. You can laugh. It's fine. It's fine to laugh. But seriously, drink, remembering the blood of the new covenant that was shed that invites us into the forgiveness of God so that we can come close to him and enter his rest. So worship team, you can come on up. And God, we just thank you that you're close this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you just love to be near us and God we just invite more of your more of your rest more of your kingdom rest to fall on us this morning however that looks I just want to invite you all to stand with me and open your hands or open your ears or whatever whatever you need to open to receive this God I just ask that you would come on everyone in this room right now with just a spirit of worship for you God that we would celebrate you Lord that we would celebrate the rest that you invite us into, that you, you, we would celebrate your provision on the sixth day for the seventh. And God, renew our minds. Renew our minds to understand what it looks like to rest with you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.